doing a little wheeling and dealing here. The big piece in this one, of course, King Subban. Three years, 27 mil left on that deal. He is heading east to the New Jersey Devils. So if you're a fan of the Devils, you get Jack Hughes, you get P.K. Subban. Now moving forward, you guys know the deal. I'm a devil. Let's go. It's on. To all those New Jersey Devil fans out there, I just want to tell you guys, are you guys ready for the Subinator? Because I'm ready to go. Let's go. Well, it's official, Rory. The newest star in the NHL, not Jack Hughes, not Capo Caco. Day two of the mm -hmm. NHL draft. My God, has this become a real entity, a real mover and shaker. <laughs> this second day of the draft seems to be when not only in this particular case, because finally the, the GMs knew what they were working with cap wise, mm -hmm. but it's really nice. You get that first round, you get a little reset. Everyone goes back to their hotel room, probably has a, a bourbon or two and is like, all right, you know what we need to do? We need to trade BK Subban. Yeah. We need to trade Patrick Marlowe for sure. And things really loosen up on day two. And it was an exciting one. Yeah. We didn't get a blockbuster hockey trade like we did last you year. You have to right? put like, that qualifier on there. Yeah. Yeah. These are salary dumps, salary cap considerations and everything like that. But yeah, day two is the one. Again, we were teased with the lead up to the draft that we might see a whole bunch of movements up and down player for player, whatever it was going to be. And again, day one of the draft was just a complete dud. I mean, there were a couple of surprises in where picks went more. It's cider to Detroit, I think was the big shocker. We'll talk about put Coles into the Canucks was an interesting one too. The fact that all three wild cards, Raphael Lavoie, Arthur Kaliev, Brett Leeson drop into round two was a bit of a surprise to me too. So there wasn't a lack of intrigue, but it was just, we were built up to expect yeah. some fireworks and there was nothing there on day one so we've learned yeah, now you make, just got to wait 24 more exactly hours. Just, just wait wait 24 hours wait for that day two and and maybe we'll see something again next year so we will start this episode of tape today by talking about the trade that sent suban to the devils the salary dump of patrick marlowe what it means for the lease we'll also go team by team with the canadian clubs and talk about the player each club selected in the first round. Obviously, the Leafs did not have a first round selection, but we'll dive into their scene when we talk about Marlowe. And then we'll end the show just kind of giving a 30,000 foot view of the draft, overall impressions, anything you loved, anything you didn't really like. But yes, let's start with the Subban trade. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I said to you before we got rolling here, I just think we we are now with the cap not going up as much as teams had hoped and looks like it's going to be kind of stagnant here for maybe mm -hmm. a couple years cap space has gone from valuable to critical and to think we could see someone who just turned 30 who's has the track record of pk suban to see that player be traded just to get him off the books is uh it's it's a little jarring for sure now yeah. i get in the sense we might be coming at this from a couple different places i'm gonna defend david Poyle. you tell me what you think but we're gonna circle back to Poyle. Well, I mean, I was, I was surprised. This is why, <laughs> this is why when we talk about, would you trade this player for this player? Or how much do you think this player is going to get traded for these, these trades, especially for big contracts, almost never work out the way you think they're going to. Like if I would have come on one of our fake trades <laughs> segments and drop that return for PK Subban, and we use that to promote this podcast on social media, we've been laughed off the internet, right? So 
I think the most surprising thing about it to me is that there was only one team in on Subban who was willing to take the entire it, nine million dollar. Even when the reports started coming out that it was like, well, teams will take him if the if Natural will eat three million dollars. Yeah, that's like, wild. Damn, that's, that's wild. Pretty crazy. Yeah, and this is what less than a week after Eric Carlson re-signed with the San Jose Sharks for an eleven and a half million dollar eight year deal. With the thinking that if he goes to July 1, he's going to get competitive offers, if not better ones, you know, who knows how that would have played out. But that's the most mind boggling thing to me is, is this is two and a half million dollars less for a player who also has won a Norris trophy, isn't dealing with the same injury problems that Carlson is. No one was willing to give up a first round pick and take the entire nine million dollars. I, I, no, no team like I can see Toronto having trouble with dealing with that and, and fine, but a team like the Vancouver Canucks, if you really wanted to get in on PK Subban, this seemed to be your time to offer something. And I think this is where we've been talking for a couple of years um, as GM Jim Benning in Vancouver was going through this rebuild that he wasn't doing enough trading out veterans to just get picks, third round picks, fourth round picks, whatever, to just, just get those lottery tickets. And because he didn't do that, he didn't at this moment have those assets to then flip for a cheap PK Subban trade pickup. You don't like, like New Jersey gave up two second round picks. Vancouver doesn't have multiple second round picks. They only have their own picks, basically one in each round for the next three drafts. There's no depth on the roster. There's no depth in picks for them to make an opportunistic trade like that. And that's where this asset management thing also comes into consideration where if Benning just would have done that, gotten on that train much earlier, Vancouver would have been in a great position to potentially go at Subban. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is crazy that when you get right down to it and in this new world where the cap uh, is stagnating, when you really do the math of, okay, who's willing to take on all the salary? Well, a lot of times that's crummy teams who don't have good players who really aren't out there going, hey, we'd like to trade for a 30-year-old defenseman right now because mm-hmm. we think we're really going to make a push to win. But New Jersey is that team because obviously it made the playoffs two years ago, took a step back, and you really wind up with a shockingly short list of teams that are like, you know what, This we can do this and it makes sense for us. And to me, this is the hardiest pat on the back, certainly goes to Ray Shiro for making this happen. Yeah. But I cannot pound David Poyle into dust for, I mean, essentially he did what he had to do, right? I mean, he looked yep. at his team, said, here's an area of strength. Here's a guy who makes the most on that blue line mm-hmm. because we are a good organization. We have someone like Dante Fabro coming up who we exactly. think very soon can replace him. And he did what he had to do. Like people who think that for, you know, inexplicably in year 40 of being an NHL GM, he just became an idiot. Like I, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. It's so clear what was going on and what he just kind of had to do. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> Look, there are tough decisions that are going to have to be made still. Like, if you thought trading P.K. Subban and his $9 million contract was hard, you got Kyle Turris making $6 million against the cap for another five seasons. You have to address your centers. You have to address this power play, which was a disaster last year. You do have depth on that blue. You have to sign Roman Yossi next year, which is going to come with a, a huge raise, I would think unless he surprises and takes some kind of a discount or whatever. But, but there are, you know, Nashville kind of backed into first place in the central division this year. And, and they were not an inspiring pick 
in the playoffs by anyone. No, nobody was really thinking of them as a Stanley Cup favorite. There has to be some tweaking there. And when you're capped out and you've got this huge contract on the horizon too, um, and, and a kind of window, you know, Pecorine signed for two more years and then maybe you Soros is ready to take over, but that's kind of unclear too. Like you have a two year window to really, really go hard at it here. Um, they were just kind of in a corner there. Like you weren't going to trade Ryan Ellis. So you just signed long-term. They, they really stayed loyal to the guys that they drafted and, yeah. and brought up. And Subban was the, was the odd man out in that. Um, I don't think he necessarily lost. I think it, I think it remains to be seen though. Like, what does he do with well, this? Sure. We, Is he just going to spend $9 million on Matt Duchesne? I think that would be a little bit uh, too much for a guy like that. If you're just basically swapping Subban for Duchesne, I'm not sure that Poyle is a winner, so I I, I don't want to judge this move until I see what happens with Nashville over the next week and, and maybe after July 1. So just quickly on Jersey, I mean, do you think this vaults them right into a playoff <sighs> conversation? Uh, I mean, the, the D was kind of, you know, obviously the Taylor Hall trade worked out fantastic. Speaking of contracts, he needs a new one next summer. Let me rewind a little bit, too. I don't know what your timeline was following this trade, but there was about a 10 minute lag on Twitter where the big boys were reporting he'd been traded. Mm Subban, we didn't know where the lease had just cleared cap space. Mm -hmm. And then we found out it was New Jersey. And then we found out the package. Like there was a moment. Here are some names that actually went through my head. Mm -hmm. I was like, would they have done Heesher? Like, would they have traded Heesher for (laughs) Subban? I actually was like, well, uh, I could maybe see it. And then I was like, what about Taylor Hall? He only has one year left. Yeah. Maybe they think they can't sign him. Nashville wants a, a goal push. Yep. Didn't end up being anything that dramatic. <laughs> no. Uh, did uh, you, anything like that go through your head or did you well, just hear what the deal was? Well, actually, I was on my way into the office. And so when I came up from the subway, I got these alerts. Like, oh, so I didn't even have time to process or, uh, or see the buildup to those trades. <laughs> it just kind of got dumped on me. Um I did see after there was a mystery team, and of course, my first thought was the Florida Panthers. Oh, were sure. they a mystery team? Because they that's a team with assets yeah. um, that could maybe make that splash. Um, you know, uh, from New Jersey's perspective, I think after the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship, we were wondering, is although it's a different setup, uh, salary setup, would any NHL team think about doing that kind of Kawhi Leonard thing where you take a huge risk on a one-year thing to see what happens? Maybe that you can take a run of the cup or something like that. Nobody did that with Subban, but other than New Jersey, like they are trying to, by getting Subban with Jack Hughes, number one overall, maybe this is a sell to keep Taylor Hall in town uh, beyond this season. Because sure. w- without without a big move like Subban... You know, I think it's hard to see a way that they get into the playoffs. Um, it's still, it's, it's still it hard to see. Corey like, Schneider the, the can, keep was, it, can keep it back that, on the rails because, you know, he was really coming back. Absolutely. Corey Schneider, if he comes back, that that's a huge game changer. But the Metro is so tough. Like, Philadelphia is going through some changes. I'm not sure I'm buying into what they've done so far, but but we'll see. Like, Washington is still there. Pittsburgh still there. They're yeah. not going anywhere. I, I, remains to be seen about the Islanders. Carolina doesn't seem to be going over like there, there's opportunity, but there's a lot of depth throughout that division too. It's like true. it's not going to surprise me if any team may basically makes that roster, but you bring Subban instantly, you get, you know, just an electric player from the back and they haven't had a defenseman like that. I don't know. Scott Niedermeyer. Niedermeyer yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Um, 
and it just it gives you more more star power, more puck moving ability, more excitement, everything like that. I think it's definitely something that makes me think about New Jersey at least as sure, a possible. That, that's exactly it. Yeah, it puts yeah. them back on your radar, and, yeah. and realistically, that is a team that still sometimes needs that just to to put themselves yeah. on the map. Let's do Marlow quickly. We're still, as we record this, we're still waiting to see if he actually is bought out and and if there is a return to San Jose, but. What do you see now for the Leafs as there still isn't any real warm and funny, fuzzy news on the Mitch Marner front? I mean, the Leafs are still really trying to negotiate something difficult here. I know around the office, you're pretty on the record about not wanting to trade Kadri. What do you see as next moves here for the Leafs? (laughs) Well, it might be Kadri. I mean, he's in the rumor mill. I just, what I don't get about that is... The whole thing with Kadri is his contract is so valuable, right? Four, yeah. four and a half million dollars for a third line center. And now you actually need that when all of your young players are making big money and you're up against the cap. Like that's such a value. If I'm trading him, you know, I'm valuing him for a, his low cap hit and B he's a second line center on most of the teams Absolutely. in the NHL. Sure. So you're not trading him as a third line center. I'm only doing it if I'm getting a number two or a number three defenseman, like I would have done it for Subban if that would have made sense under the cap. Um, what's next for the Maple Leafs? I mean, they have to do something with that defense. And I don't think that necessarily means you got to pay a ton to go out and get, you know, like uh, someone on the level of a Drew Doughty necessarily. Like you look at some of the teams over the past that won the cup. Washington did it with basically John Carlson being their number one. They found Michael Kempney, but he's not like, he's not a stud, right? Sure. And the, the, the rest of their defense is kind of filled out. Pittsburgh, same thing. Like Chris Letang was the number one, and the rest of it's filled out with guys that are just fine. One of those cups they won, Chris Letang, was out of the lineup too. St. Louis has had a great defense for a long time, and the only the only year that they finally broke through and won the Stanley Cup was after they upgraded their centers. Yeah. So, you know, I just think you need to find some value. I, I think a guy I would be targeting is, uh, and I think you'd buy him kind of low, is uh, Julius Honka out of Dallas, who was a healthy scratch for most of the season. Um, and he was a former first-round pick, I believe, in 2014. Great puck mover, but but very, very risky. But that's the kind of guy you can take a shot on, at least, uh, as a guy who can move the puck for you and get it up to your forwards. Um I just think you're looking for values like that. I don't think you need to go and do anything too drastic. I think you can get by with with some kind of fringy, you know, low second pair, high third pair kind of defenseman, and you don't need to break the bank on the trade market to get those guys. All right. When we come back, we are going to dive into the draft itself. Day one, the first round, Friday night in Vancouver. The uh, The first two picks went as expected, and there was definitely some volatility after that that affected the board, some guys falling. We're going to get into what we think each Canadian team, how they can feel after uh, what is always a big night. You're, uh, you know, as the GM says, it's, it's the, the one night you can get players for free. So it is still the lifeblood of, uh, of every NHL organization. We are going to give our take on the first rounders taken by Canadian teams. Coming right up, it's Dick. Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali. 
complete with the world's first six-function multi-protocol gate. Summer is on the way, which means softball beer leagues, beach volleyball, and patio season. The Sierra Denali's gate comes with a built-in load stop to keep whatever you're traveling with in place and turns into a step for easier access. Once you arrive, it can also become a work surface that includes a power outlet. So, whether you're loading a tackle box, working on a project, or tailgating at the game, we've got you covered. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. With the eighth pick in the draft, the Edmonton Oilers select from AIK Sweden, Philip Broberg. The Vancouver Canucks draft from St. Petersburg of the KHL, Vasiliev Potsdorfer. With the 15th overall selection, the Montreal Canadiens select from the U.S. National Development Program, Cole Caulfield. Auto selects from Kelowna, Lassie Thompson. The Winnipeg Jets are proud to select from Luko, Finland, Vili Heinola. Calgary Flames would like to thank the great city of Vancouver, Vancouver Canucks, for a wonderful draft weekend. We'd also like to say a special hello to the greatest hockey fans back in Calgary. <laughs> and with our first selection from Moncton of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Jacob Pelche. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. All right, it is time to talk about the new faces joining Canadian teams via the first round of the 2019 NHL Draft. So, Rory, if I ask you, out of the six Canadian teams that made a pick in the first round, because, of course, the Leafs did not, is there one player that jumps off the page to you? Well, I think Vasily Podkolzin is is the number one guy going to the Vancouver Canucks. When Sam Cosentino was on doing our draft preview show, like he loved him, right? Big, big fan of the guy. If if Podkolzin played this year in the CHL, he might have been the third overall pick going to Chicago, maybe fourth to to Colorado. He's a top five guy, maybe a top three guy. You know, he's sturdy, very strong on the puck. Good offensive instincts, good offensive skills. It was just that contract, right? He signed for another two years in the KHL. And so when you were wondering where Pod Colson might go, who might take that shot on him, it was thought, okay, what are the organizations that have had success drafting players out of Russia in the past? Detroit was the one that came to mind. I thought, again, Florida has had success bringing Russians over in the past. Vancouver was probably the 31st ranked team on that list that have had success bringing Russians right out of Russia, right? Uh, Since the salary cap uh, was instituted in 2005, the Canucks have drafted before pod Coles and exactly three players directly out of Russia. The highest pick of those was Nikita Triamkin in the third round. The the other two were sixth and seventh rounders, I believe. So nothing really of significance there. And then they take this huge cut on pod Coles and, and at the same time, they make this this trade to get JT Miller, which gives a conditional first-round pick to Tampa Bay. If they miss the playoffs this year, Tampa, uh, Vancouver will keep it. If Vancouver misses the playoffs for the next two years, Tampa Bay gets their 2021 first-round pick totally unprotected and all, everything like that. So the trade kind of shortens their window, right? They have to get in the playoffs in the next two years, but their draft pick in the first round 
is this kind of still long-term outlook. You're not going to get this guy for probably two more years. He's not going to help you in this frantic push that you have to make towards the playoffs over the next couple of years. So those, those two picks were a little at, at odds, but at the same time, I think just, if you look at the player pod Colson, this was a shot worth taking yeah. for the Canucks. I think like, if you think a couple years down the line, him on a line with Elias Pettersson, that could be absolutely outstanding. It's just, it was surprising to me that they were the team that, that took the swing on them. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw the Canadians out there as the other team. That's yeah. probably doing a tap dance after the first round. I, I don't think many people thought, Cole Caulfield was going to fall to 15 and it sounds like the Canadians were ready to move the pick trade down a little right until Philly took Cam York one spot ahead of Montreal interestingly probably another player the Canadians were interested in because he plays left side D but Caulfield for those who don't know set the goals record for the U.S. national team development program by the way big Friday night for that uh, organization huge, huge Friday night but yes, this is a five foot seven, uh, you know, buck sixty five yep. guy who, yep. even in today's NHL, the, you know, you're going to have your doubters based on that. All kinds of comparisons made to Alex DeBrinket, but it, it, I mean, I just think it's exciting that the Canadians made an exciting pick and that they really may may have found a guy who's a thirty five plus goal scorer yep. at fifteen. There's not many NHL players. I'm both. Taller and heavier than <laughs> Cole Caulfield is now one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, he he's tiny. Montreal has been no stranger to small players in yeah, the past, right? True. And if you look at the draft as a whole, there were a ton of guys who were six feet or, or less than six feet that, that were picked um, throughout. So this is a trend the league uh, over the last few years has been getting smaller and smaller in, in overall draft picks. Um I was surprised that he fell to 15 for sure. I mean, he's got that undeniable goal scoring ability. There were a few goal scorers who fell. Kaliev, again, 51 goals in the OHL. Raphael Lavoie, 20 goals in 23 playoff games in the QMJHL. This, that kind of natural ability. You can't really teach somebody to be a goal scorer. You can instruct them how to be a smarter player on positioning and, and be a stronger defensive player. Um, they can train to get stronger. These are all things that most young players need to learn and get better at before they're pro ready, but just straight up goal scoring ability. That's something that just has its own value yeah. that is that that's built in. And so just the fact that you can get that player, I, I would still be very slow with him. Like he doesn't need to be rushed to the no. NHL or anything like that. That that's a mistake that, you know, Edmonton made with Kyler Yamamoto. I think again, another guy with decent goal scoring ability, but Caulfield's even better than that. Like historical, he did play with Jack Hughes. So we'll see like, what's the dynamic there? How much was it Hughes? How much was it Caulfield? His comparable is Alex DeBrincat, who kind of had that same thing, right? He played with Connor McDavid and everybody's wondering, well, how much of that is McDavid? How much of that is Demrincat? And it turns out that he's turns he's out on he his play. own just fine. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Caulfield might very well be the same thing. Um, this this could be a, a huge huge pick for the Canadians in two or three years if he's on that lineup, um, scoring thirty goals from the wing. You're going to have a decision to make on you know what Brennan Gallagher's next contract is going to need to be in in the next couple of years and. You know, he's one of the top even strength goal scorers in the NHL over the last couple of years. So that won't be cheap. And at the same time, when that contract comes up, you're probably going to have an ELC coming in on Caulfield and you're quickly going to find some depth scoring. Probably if you have access to the internet right now, 
dear listeners, go find the picture of Caulfield on stage with Shea Weber, yes. who called <laughs> the Canadians' first round selection. Um, man, does it? Uh, is there ever a, a bit of a contrast between the mountain of a man, as he's been called by? numerous people and uh the little wee fella caulfield uh who was really happy to be there uh one year after edmonton took evan bouchard in the first round who i think they expect to play on their blue line or yeah, hope will play on probably. the blue line in the fall they went defenseman again swedish defenseman philip broberg yeah i mean i was seeing i don't know a lot about this player i was seeing in the build-up to the draft that um you know that the more analytically inclined crowd is not big on this player um, I don't think he's like special in any way. He's he is a good defensive guy. Like by all accounts, he seems like he's a smart player and everything like that. Um, but he was a late riser for sure. Like in Sam's rankings throughout the year, for the most part, he was in the twenties. Uh, for the WJC, he wasn't going to go and play for Sweden until Timothy Liljegren had to pull out to an injury, and Broberg was a late addition into that. So the fact that he went all the way up to the eighth overall was a little bit of a, a surprise there for me. Now, this was not a particularly strong draft for defensemen. It was thought turns out there were a bunch of them picked in the first round anyway, but in, and at the high end, they weren't expected to go early. Still, you had three defensemen go in those first eight picks. I just, you know, with, with some of the other players that were on there, like why didn't Edmonton take its shot on Caulfield? Um, maybe they thought Pud Colson was a little bit too risky. They didn't want to wait a couple of years or whatever, but those are the kind of players who I think could have been more game changers for that team. And really they're on a, I know you don't draft for need, but they desperately need scoring wingers. And that's something they're going to continue to need for the next couple of years. I think that's not going away anytime soon, but if you look at their blue line, it's, I think it's a little underrated. I don't think they're in a bad spot on the blue line at all. Even going into next season, well, Sekera is coming back kind of fine. Sure. You got Bouchard coming in. Nurse is taking a, a Nurse is taking a step up. I mean, Larson isn't, isn't a number one, but he's a good sturdy defenseman. True. Like you got everything there. So I was surprised that the Oilers didn't go for like skill, like buy in on skill, use that eighth round pick on skill. And, you know, with, with, Questions about Yamamoto with Poyarvi asking for a trade out. I mean, your prospects on the wing are really sketchy at this point in time. Two more defensemen, two finished defensemen. Back to back, 19 and 20. Ottawa grabbed Lassie Thompson and Winnipeg went with Vili Hainola to continue to pack its pipeline with uh, with finished defensemen. Yeah, Winnipeg, I mean... <laughs> they are all in on this finished train, right? The, this is where all the prospects are coming they from. They must now. be like, these guys aren't going to be bothered by the weather here at <laughs> no. all. Bring the, yeah. bring the finished boys over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I know again, like this is a guy who by all accounts, again, like there's nothing that jumps off the page. He's just, he's a smart defenseman. And I think, you know, Winnipeg's got a really good track record of developing these guys too. Yeah. And they're one team you give the benefit of the doubt to on draft. Absolutely. Day. Absolutely. So I, uh, you know, I, again, like at, at, 
at this point in time, you're not looking at High Nolan thinking, oh, this is the next stud or anything like that. This is something you're going to wait a year or two. You're going to watch him grow. You're going to watch him become a, a pro in the AHL for this team, take a bit of a long-term approach, and they're restocking that blue line because it, it's starting to thin out also after the, the Truba trade. Um, and, and Ottawa, you know, same thing for, for Thompson. Like, he was a guy who was a mid-round, first-round pick for most of the season. Um, he's not... He's not a standout star the way that Thomas Shabbat, Eric Brandstrom are, but those two guys are like your rocks on the blue line, right? And now you're filling this out. They could have a pretty decent looking blue line in short order. Well, they're a team you could actually argue in the first round. You know what? Take the safe guy because you've got those comments on the back end. Take a guy who you're like, we can, we can pair him with one of these two guys and he can be steady Eddie. And Ottawa's got so much cap space, right? Like yeah. they could be one of these next teams that kind of looks at the Marlowe, looks at the Subban trades and says, oh, okay, we could get really interesting. We could get really uh, uh, um, creative here and to try and accelerate this rebuild, to try and get a first round pick or, or something like that. The, the caveat is that uh, Eugene Mellick's going to have to be willing to pay somebody. You know, you're not just going to get a free, a free, Sure. Pick up. You got to pay these players that you get. So maybe it's an injured player. I'm wondering if if they're going to get go after like a David Clarkson because you could put him in LTIR. Insurance can cover most of that contract, and it's not the owner paying it out. That's the thing. Like you have to have the buy in from the owner to do those things to take on those expensive contracts. But the opportunity is at least there now for Ottawa to take advantage of all this cap space that they have. Well, we see the going rate. I mean, the Leafs to get six million off the books yep. paid. A first round pick. Yep. I mean, that's that's pretty good value yep. if you're the the acquiring team there. Last Canadian team to pick in the first round, Calgary Flames. They didn't go Caulfield small, but they did go undersized Q winger in Jacob Pelletier. Yeah, I mean, I he he's a pretty good player too. Again, like always throughout the season, a, a late first round pick. You're just looking for some wing skill. The, the center wasn't there for this team. Your defense looks great uh, for the future with a lot of young talent still there coming up. Um, I, I You're just really kind of filling out your depth on the wings here. And Peltier is a, um, a, a very skilled player, very productive player in the QMJHL. Again, you're, he's going back to junior next year. He's probably going to be there the, the season after that. He'll be in the AHL. This isn't a guy who's going to be on this roster in the very near future, I don't think. But that's fine because Calgary is all in going for Stanley Cups sure. right now. You got a three or four year window as long as Mark Giordano's around. You got to be more aggressive on other things like goaltending. Peltier is a really good prospect for the long term future. All right. When we come back, we're just going to take a 30,000 foot view of this whole draft rounds one through seven. Give our take on uh, some of the things we like, some teams that uh, felt like they got a real nice grab bag and and maybe some teams uh, not so much who maybe could have done a little better value-wise. We're going to put a bow on the 2019 NHL Draft, the final block, tape to tape. Tired of subscribing to multiple streaming services to get your sports fix? Introducing Sportsnet Now. Live stream the NHL, NBA, MLB, IndyCar, and much more all in one subscription. 
You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. New package options available beginning at $19.99 a month. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Rory, we really did know going in this draft was going to start at third overall. We, you know, despite what Sam was saying, he really believed there were some teams that would take Capo Caco number one, but we knew New Jersey wasn't one of them. We really, we really knew that all things being equal is going to go Hughes Caco and in huge days for those two organizations and rivals right across the Hudson river, the devils and Rangers. We knew this, the fun kicked off at three. And when Chicago took Kirby doc, that all of a sudden threw the board in a little flux. Yeah. So I'm going to give Sam credit, although he didn't have doc going to Chicago at three on his mock draft on the day of the draft, he was starting to talk about doc being a potential pick there. That was the buzz in Vancouver on the day. So I'm giving him credit for seeing that. one, <laughs> And maybe it shouldn't have surprised us because out of, out of the centers that were available, doc is the biggest one of them, right? Dylan cousins is pretty big too, but doc has an inch on him. He's, he's over 200 pounds scored 25 goals and, and 73 points in, in the WHL this year. So you know, everybody needs centers. Everybody loves big centers. Maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise that the biggest center got picked when the draft really started at, at number three. Um, I was wondering if maybe they would look at Byram there, but their last three first round picks were all spent on defensemen. So you kind of look at centermen. I was surprised initially that the centerman they took wasn't Turcotte, who's uh, you know, number one comparable is Jonathan Taze. Yeah. Just a smart two way guy. But I think doc comes with more a, a, of an offensive upside there. And, and I think he's going to be a, a, a fantastic pickup for the Hawks. So you mentioned Byram, Colorado gets him at number four for the blue line and yeah. Alex Newhook at 16. I think Colorado and, and the Los Angeles Kings who wound up snagging Turcotte at five and then got Kaliev in the second round. Yeah. Off the top of my head, those are maybe my two big winners. Yeah, I think that's so we'll start with like Colorado. Um you think back, it's it's not even that long ago to the Matt Duchesne trade before that happened. Um their defense was a disaster. Like there there was what what are they gonna do with this blue line? How are they gonna improve this thing? And now you look at it today that might start being the envy of the league here before too long. I mean, I know Nashville still got a, a really strong defense there. There's a couple of teams out there with good blue lines, but if you think that you're, you're going to have Bowen Byram, who was the third highest WHL scoring defenseman in the regular season, led all players of any position in playoff scoring in the WHL. Uh, you add him to Sam Gerrard, a small puck moving guy, very quick. You got in the Duchesne trade. Uh, Connor Timmins, who I think a lot of people forget about because he missed this entire season with a concussion, but he was a second round pick. He was named a top three player on Canada's WJC team uh, the year before Kale McCarr, who we saw come up and was fantastic. Yeah. He really lit it on fire. Yeah. And then as far as, as veterans, you know, Eric Johnson is still signed for another few years. So he's going to be giving you some good, reliable minutes. He can be that, that kind of tough defensive kind of guy. Tyson Berry's hanging out there as probably a trade ship more than anything else a year away from free agency. But if he sticks around, I mean, that blue line is going to be just full of fast, smart, 
highly skilled puck moving defensemen um, to get it up to those amazing forwards that they have there. So in that way, they have radically upgraded their defense in a very short period of time to the point where it might quickly become one of the better ones uh, in the league. I think one of my winners um, outside of that, I I liked what Anaheim did. I thought they got really, really lucky with uh, Trevor Zegers falling down to them at number nine. He's one of those US NTDP uh, centermen. He can also play wing. So there's a little flexibility there. I just, Anaheim's got such a a great drafting track record that I always kind of focus in on what they did. Um, So the fact that they were able to get that center, I think is huge passing on pod Coles and to get them. And then Braden Tracy was a very fast, very late riser up the rankings, a six foot, 170 pound left winger. Um, I, I'm interested to see what happens there because buzz was definitely building around this guy. And so when a team like Anaheim is the one that uses a first round pick to get him, when he was a second round pick, I think for most of the year, maybe even right up until draft week on most mock drafts, um, that jumps off the page at me. Anaheim is just generally a, a winner from the most part because you look at their track record. I thought those two picks were really interesting from them. I think they'll end up being winners. Anything else stick with you from the 2019 draft? I thought so Toronto's whole draft. They didn't pick in the first round. As you said, Um, we've already talked about their trade, but if you look at all the picks they made, not one player was even six feet tall. And again, this is a trend league wide is that draft player draft picks are getting smaller and smaller um, as a whole. But it's interesting that all of your picks, all of your picks are under six feet tall and you're going in on that. So we'll see what happens uh, uh, there for them. And, and other than that, I was, I was wondering where Spencer Knight was going to go surprised that the Panthers were the team that jumped on in on him. Um, they do need a goalie, but it's like, I I hope it's a good pick. (laughs) You know, they've talked about him. Like he's the best goalie prospect that's come through since Vasilevsky. He's on carry prices level in that way, but goalies are, they're so unpredictable that, you know, you, you see some monster, monster goalies, six foot seven, six foot six picked in these later rounds that come with very good track records too. It's hard to put a first round pick down on a goalie. So uh, we'll see how that one plays out for the Florida Panthers. It, I, I like it in that his, his, his talent is absolutely there. He was a first round pick, but man, that, that is definitely a risky one. It's, it's risky. It's, I mean, the upside is crazy though when you think if you nail it, you just solve the most important position for yes. fifteen years. I, I, that that's the whole thing. Like, and, and the other thing too with goalies is they don't like if you draft a, a guy there who becomes a number one center for you and he's great. When his ELC is over, you're going to have to pay him ten million dollars. That's not going to be the case for your goalie. That's right. Goalies make less. So if you if it is a hit and you've solved that position for fifteen years and you're not spending that much money on that player, that's a game changer for sure. Okay, here's the tape-to-tape plan for the next little while. Barring any other game changers in terms of trades, our plan is to fire up the recording equipment on July 1, of course, the first day of free agency, and recap everything that's happened on that day, as well as what we anticipate will still be some trades here in basically the week Mm -hmm. leading up. Now, as I said, if something earth-shattering happens, if all of a sudden... 
Austin Matthews ends up on the Phoenix Coyotes, the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, then we'll get in the recording booth. But failing that, look for us in not only in the regular tape-to-tape feed, but also there's a good chance we're going to be um, firing up our digital studio and uh, getting in front of the cameras. Oh, no. Get ready, get ready, <laughs> listener, to become a dear watcher. Uh, and we'll be on YouTube and Twitter. We're still figuring out the details as we work closer to the date but something will be happening on july 1 look for us for sure then and you never know if something big happens check your tape to tape feed should be a busy week yeah we're recording this on sunday key to remember that ufas can start talking to other teams today rfas can start talking to teams on wednesday after all the qualifying offers are sent in so there's going to be an awful lot of rumors i think throughout this week All right. To follow those, go to sportsnet.ca. Follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan. Myself, at Dixon on Sports. And check back next week for more Glass Rattling Hockey action on Tape to Tape.